It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. In the last two episodes of this program, I asserted Christian liberalism masquerades as a true Christian faith, and the fact that Darwinism adversely affected the school of philosophy that developed in America called pragmatism. That development greased the skids to allow the American nation to slide into secular humanism. I would like to continue that vein of investigation to consider another religion that once was called the emergent church, but now is labeled as progressive Christianity. It is first characterized by a willingness to question tradition. By that, I think they mean they are questioning traditional Christianity, or perhaps what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity. Immediately, the statement quotes a willingness to question traditional, end quotes, Christianity, makes me suspicious. I fear they will take any doubt far beyond the scriptural teaching. Second, progressive Christianity emphasizes the acceptance of human diversity. Third, a strong emphasis on social justice and care for the poor and the oppressed, and fourth, environmental stewardship of the earth. These last three objectives are worthy goals. But if in the context of the first objective of question tradition, a twisted interpretation is concluded, then that will adversely affect the other three objectives. In her book, Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity, Elisa Childers says, quotes, The emergent movement first became influential in the evangelical church in the early 2000s. The emergent village was founded in 1999 under the leadership of board members that included Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, Diana Butler Bass, Doug Paget and other outside-the-box thinkers, end quotes. Childers' criticism continues. Historically, Christians have viewed good works and acts of justice to be a fruit of their convictions. Believing the right things about God produces right actions. However, the emergent church flipped this on its head. Things like community, friendship, justice, unity became the foundation upon which one's faith is built. In other words, what someone does became more important than what someone believes. 
even though you have to believe that statement in order to affirm it, end quotes. She says progressive Christianity is a hodgepodge of beliefs, but there is a general unity on three topics, the Bible, the cross, and the gospel. Progressive views on everything from sexuality to politics to Christian life and practice are built on this foundation. Progressive Christianity is not simply a shift in the Christian view of social issues. It's not simply permission to embrace messiness and authenticity in Christian life. It's not simply a response to doubt, legalism, abuse, or hypocrisy. It's an entirely different religion with another Jesus and another gospel. Although class discussion revolved around many different topics of faith, the Bible was almost always at the center of conversation. There was no one right way to read Scripture that we should not claim to have the correct interpretation on any topic. That is enough to get the gist. Progressive Protestantism and Christian liberalism are just examples of a long list of aberrant religions. Apostasy is the deliberate rejection of revealed religious truth and a departure from the true faith. I don't know if these two aberrant religions indicate the apostasy mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, but this certainly is an instance of apostasy. In his book, A Generous Orthodoxy, Brian McLaren relates the story of seven Jesuses he had known. In his college and young adult years, he adopted his first Jesus, the conservative Protestant Jesus. Afterwards, he moved to his second Jesus, the Pentecostal charismatic Jesus, then to the Roman Catholic, to the Eastern Orthodox, to the liberal Protestant, and to the Anabaptist Jesus. McLaren writes, Anabaptist Christians, not unlike liberal Protestants, find the heart of the gospel in the teachings of Jesus, and in particular, the ethical teachings of Jesus. He adds, for conservative Protestants and Roman Catholics, then, Jesus saves individuals through the cross and the resurrection. For Eastern Orthodox followers, Jesus saves the world through the incarnation. For liberal Protestants and Anabaptists, Jesus saves through his teaching and example. Anabaptists uniquely emphasize Jesus' role in convening and leading a community of disciples. For them, the church is not at heart an institution with hierarchies and policies, headquarters and bureaucracy. Above all, the church is a continuation and an extension of the original band of disciples, a group of people learning the ways of Jesus as a voluntary community. 
Then McLaren adds one more key element to the Anabaptist vision. And then you have his seventh and final Jesus. This is the Jesus of nonviolent liberation theology. Notice the word nonviolent. For normal liberation theology views humanity as oppressed by corrupt powers, systems, and regimes. But this ends up being instructed by socialism, Stalinism, communism, and other revolutionary ideas. I've never known any such system that did not eventually resort to murderous activity in order to keep power and eventually ruined the economy. Claren wants to embrace all of these seven Jesuses. I would respond that his understanding will lead to confusion because some of the ideas will be contradictory. For example, Christian liberals don't accept Jesus as divine. They are against the miracle of his resurrection and strongly agree that Jesus' death on the cross could not have dealt with sin because there was no sin problem in the first place. Yet conservative Christianity affirms all three. So his acceptance of all seven Jesuses introduces a contradiction into his system. Once you allow a contradiction into your system of logic, then you throw reasoning into the wind. Thus everything is possible and nothing is meaningful. Consequently, what is really true can be proved to be false because of the contradiction. Also, what is false can be proved to be true because of the contradiction. How squarely is that? J. Gresham Machen, a professor at Princeton Seminary from 1906 to 1929, led a revolt at Princeton and left Princeton and formed Westminster Theological Seminary as a more orthodox alternative. In 1923, Machen wrote his classic book, Christianity and Liberalism. He argued that the liberal understanding of Christianity was, in fact, not just a variant version of the Christian faith, nor did it represent simply a different denominational perspective, but was an entirely different religion. Put simply, Machen thought liberal Christianity was not Christianity at all. What is remarkable about Machen's book is how prescient it was. He describes liberal Christianity as one that valued questions over answers and being good over being right. That attitude is still around today in basically the same form. For this reason alone, Machen's book should be required reading for all seminary students, pastors, and Christian leaders. Although its modern advocates present progressive Christianity as something new and revolutionary, it is nothing of the sort. It may have new names like emergent or progressive Christianity, 
but it is simply a rehash of the same worn-out system that has been around for generations. I'm reading a book, The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity, by Michael Kruger. It's a book that refutes what Richard Rohr advocates in a daily devotional. Rohr listed ten principles he thinks modern Christianity should embrace. He drew these ten principles from Philip Gully's book, If the Church Were Christian, Rediscovering the Values of Jesus. Michael Kruger presents these principles as the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. Kruger says that they are less about God revealing his desires and more about man expressing his own desires. Less about what the Bible says, but more about what Oprah says. Kruger then diagnoses and critiques these ten tenets of progressive Christianity, offering a biblical and theological response to each, referring occasionally to Mason's book. Kruger points out, each of these Ten Commandments of progressive Christianity is partially true. Indeed, that is what makes this list and progressive Christianity in particular so challenging, is these Ten Principles form a document of half-truths that sound appealing on the surface until you dig down deeper and really explore their foundation and implications. Benjamin Franklin was right when he quipped, half the truth is often a great lie. Allow me to close this episode by giving you a contrast between what is the liberal, progressive, and modern view of Jesus with what is the biblical view of Jesus. The liberal view of Jesus preaches only on love, but the biblical preaches God's justice and righteousness. The liberal view says Jesus never says anything negative, but the biblical says Jesus warns of sin, judgment, and hell. The liberal view is that Jesus was loved and accepted by the world, but the biblical is that Jesus was hated and despised by the world. The liberal view is that Jesus serves your will and desires, not God's will, whereas the biblical view says that Jesus exalts the Father's will. The liberal view is that Jesus hates to offend you or others, while the biblical view is that Jesus offends the world with the truth. When given the choice between worshiping Jesus, which requires that he must be divine, and merely looking at Jesus as a good moral teacher, liberals, progressives, and moderns have always preferred the latter. Which will you choose? Will you follow the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Or will you follow a manufactured Jesus? Think about it.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.